1: Hello and you're very welcome to the weekly politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me in studio today were our political editor Pat Leahy, political correspondent Harry McGee and we were also joined by Sinead Gibney who has just been anointed as the social democrat candidate for the constituency of Dunleary uh, in the next election which as we know may not be too far away. We discussed a number of issues including whether there were just too many parties on the left these days and also whether Sinn Féin's move to definitely get into government after the next election is likely to be successful. But first of all, I asked Sinead about whether she was the first candidate for her party in the constituency of Dun We've
2: heard on the doorsteps a lot of people saying, why weren't you on the ballot sheet the last time? So uh, we've been very keen to get somebody in place. I mean, the the branch has been in place for two and a half years. And I mean, certainly what I saw at the national conference is that those branches who have a candidate in place, it's much easier to galvanise a group behind that. So um, yeah, it's a really exciting milestone for the branch to get somebody in place. Now you got and, uh, a lot of
1: positive publicity last week because you yes. we announced you were one of a number of candidates uh, announced um and you certainly seem to be doing gender balance better than a lot of other parties.
2: Yeah, well, we we are actually uh, potentially heading towards dangerous territory of, of of not fulfilling our male quota. I mean, we've now got 12 out of 20 candidates in place who are female uh, and we're going to be um, selecting more over the summer. So, yeah, we, we've got to watch out from the other direction. Wh- when would
1: that become a problem, actually?
2: Uh, well, we're at 60 percent now. So if we if we go to 70 percent, then we're borderline, right? OK. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a gender quota
1: both ways, so... Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, think, as it should be. The the other thing that, that cropped up last week, and a lot of people commented on it in relation, just in parallel with the announcement of your candidature and other candidatures, was that the SOC Dems were seen as a party who had benefited uh, in terms of visibility and profile as a result of the successful Yes campaign and the referendum?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Dunleary together for Yes, my own experience, we I, I had a really great experience of collaborating with uh, the other parties who were involved there. Our convener was a, a PBP councillor, Melissa Halpin, um, and there was other party involvement as well. And we all worked very well together. People left their... Politics at the side, and we focused on on getting the yes. Um, So we weren't necessarily uh, kind of poaching or hunting (laughs) within the group. But at the same time, people are, you know, responsive to leadership that they see within the group. And I certainly have had uh, a lot of people show interest, and the branch has had a lot of people show interest. So we actually have a branch meeting tonight, 8 p.m. in BlackRock. So uh, we'll hopefully get it. We have lots of BlackRock listeners. Maybe some some of (laughs) them will will,
1: will tip up there. What's Um, your own background? Is this your first foray into politics, or were you never in a political party before?
2: I I have been in uh, political parties before, but uh, this is my first foray kind of into, uh, well, certainly candidacy. Um, My background is, my last role was director of the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission. I was the inaugural director there, so um, appointed just before establishment date in October 2014 and merged the equality authority and the the former equality authority in the IHRC. So I was accounting officer in that role as well. So responsible for the 6.3 million budget, the 47 staff allocation and uh, responsible directly to the Oireachtas for that, uh, for those resources. Um, so really, I'm really proud of what I did in that role, uh, built up the agency from kind of zero to 50 over the course of the two years, two and a half years, um, and learned a huge amount about the public sector, the civil service. And what um, sort of work
1: would you been doing there?
2: Uh, well, I mean, as I say, we were in such high growth mode that it was definitely more operational work, I would say, than programmatic work at the time. Um, and, uh, But, I mean, the Commission itself obviously has a mandate to... Uh protect and promote uh, human rights and equality uh, and promote a culture of understanding for interculturalism. I think, God, it's been a couple of years now I'm losing the, <laughs> the patter, but um, I mean, it's the biggest human rights and equality body that the, the state has ever seen. It has increased independence from the former bodies um, and obviously it's it's there to promote and, and protect equality and human rights. Um, so a lot of legal work, uh, amicus curiae and legal assistance cases, uh, policy work, legislative observations on um, which can I either be invoked by minister or um, voluntarily either. Um, And then public engagement, which I'd say the former Equality Authority was very strong on and brought in, um, which is really about helping people understand what their rights are and where they can go with it. Um, So we would, you know, the the organisation liaises very closely with other um, regulatory and statutory bodies like that. So
1: I'm going to push you and ask you, what other political parties were you in?
2: Oh, I (laughs) Uh, I was a member of Labour for a while. Okay, Yeah, way back.
1: Because... One of the things about the Social Democrats, still a relatively new party. So the question is, where is their support coming from? And indeed, where is their party membership coming from? Do you find other ex-former Labour people? Yeah, there are, of course, absolutely.
2: Yeah, 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 definitely.
1: Because I suppose one of the questions about the Social Democrats, and I think I've asked this of Social Democrats here before, is Mm. uh, there is a Social Democratic Party in Ireland uh, at the moment. It's called the Labour Party.
2: Um, Yeah, well, what's the question? Sorry, that was the a The question is why... Yeah, it, well,
1: well, there was an inflection higher up at the end. <laughs> let, me try it, let me try it again. There is another social democratic party in Ireland. It's called the Labour Party.
2: Yes, there is, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, let me try it one more time. What's the need for a social democratic party when there is a social democratic party in Ireland already? viz. Um, the Labour Party. <laughs> Uh, Isn't the Labour Party a social democratic
2: (laughs) party? I think the social democrats are quite a social democratic party. Uh, Well, for me, I'm attracted to this party. I mean, I've been, I suppose, kind of, I I mean, I joked at my launch speech, I've been been seduced over the last year by the progressive policies, the wonderfully warm-hearted men and women in, in the party and, uh, uh, you know, really, I just I love how they're doing things and I love the opportunity to get into this party at ground level, potentially influence policies, bring my expertise to bear. Um, so for me, it's not a question of it's not Labour. For me, it's I'm attracted to this party. I'm attracted to how they're doing their work um, and the vision that they hold for a for future Ireland. And I think there's room. I mean, I don't uh, I don't I don't. I don't buy that there's not, you know, that there's that, that it's too crowded on the left um, or anything like mm-hmm. that. I think I think there's room for because one of the things I I would wonder is I because
1: uh, regular listeners will know I live in Dublin Bay North. When I go into my polling b- booth the next election, which my colleagues here tell me is not too far off. I'll be faced with um, strong candidates from Labour, Social Democrats, Green Party, Solidarity, PBP, Sinn Féin, uh, a sitting uh, socialist independent, two sitting socialist independent TDs actually, and probably a a few other people who identify as being on the centre left, which is roughly the... Political ground. Well, some of those are, you are further are left occupying.
2: than centre left, obviously. Um, I mean, for me, there's there's room, and I mean, my last uh, uh, I studied equality studies in uh, in UCD, and we did a lot of work around the kind of theory around this, and around you know, you need the radical voices, you need the, the middle ground voices, you need the centre voices on the left. I mean, all of those are, are, are required in society. They help us understand, and and they spark debate, they spark discourse. So, so I don't think it's it's um, it, it's a negative thing to have uh, to have this many voices, and also, I mean. I suppose for us as a party, what we're offering is uh, an alternative. On the ballot sheet, we've got the numbers in place now. We're up to 20 um, in terms of our candidates and we're going to be bringing more um, in there. And, uh, you know, so so that's what we're looking at. And, and I'm not necessarily distracted by the others, to be honest, personally. And maybe it's a little bit like I'm not from a political background. I don't. I mean, I, obviously, I'm aware of Irish politics and I read the news and all of that and current affairs. But I wouldn't consider myself a, a real political, you know, kind of junkie or nerd. And so I don't really carry a lot of this baggage that people kind of throw at me. I know what I want. I know that this party shares my vision for Ireland and a more equal Ireland and that egalitarianism is really what drives me. Um, so, so that's where I'm at, and I'm, I'm not going to allow. Harry, you
1: were our boots on the ground guy during the referendum. Did you see? Um, some people have remarked they saw quite a significant social democrat presence, certainly in Dublin.
3: Uh, certainly, yeah, in Dublin uh, and elsewhere too. If you went to say to Galway, Galway West, uh, Neil O'Toole was, and uh, some of the social democrats in Galway were out uh, in force. It's the, the, the party does seem to be successful at recruiting people who have been involved in uh, equality issues over the past number of years, particularly the two referendums, the 2015 referendum. I mean, that, Of course, the, the party was, uh, came into being um, around the same time as 2015 ref- referendum uh, and now uh, the abortion referendum this year. And one of the exercises that I, I've been doing in the past week or so is looking at uh, how people who have been involved in the campaign uh, if uh, people who feel feel energized by a single issue campaign uh, like this and want to become involved in, in politics, because a lot of people who were involved in the campaign were civilians, as it were, uh, with no um, uh, interest, or no involvement in politics until now. And they learned the, the art of canvassing, uh, tallying, uh, polls, uh, fo- following the, the fortunes of the issue as it went. And they became politicised to an extent. So once the referendum is over, a certain proportion of those have become interested in kind of becoming involved with conventional politics. So One question is how many? Well, I'd say it's a minority uh, because I think that the nature of the campaigns, uh, they're, they're quite different. When you're talking about a referendum, you're talking about one campaign that's very tangible, that's very identifiable, uh, it's a, a, a sprint, essentially, when you're talking about conventional politics, you're talking about a proposition that's far more messy. You're talking about lots of issues. Uh, you're talking about a very slow, tortuous uh, process to get an issue uh, from beginning uh, to end. And you're also talking about uncertain outcomes. With this, there was a very certain outcome. you were either mm-hmm. going to win or lose. And it was all going to be over on May the 25th, no matter what happened uh, with politics. You know, it's it's uh, how long is is a piece of string. But of those who contacted me, because I I tweeted asking people were they interested in joining a party, having uh, uh, been involved in this campaign, and it's very unscientific, like all uh, tweet uh, requests, but the the vast majority who did come back to me uh, were interested in joining Social Democrats above other parties. Why do you think that is? I just think that it's a young party. Um, um, Its it's two leaders are veterans. I mean, both of them have been around politics for a long time. But when you look at the composition, if you go to any of their meetings, the, the, yeah. the national conventions, you'll find that the composition of the party is young. There are people who would have had very little familial connection with politics, who've, be, who've gone in because the, the policies and the ideals and the ambitions and the aspirations of the Social Democrats uh, appeal to them. And, um, uh, you know, they, they feel that they're, I mean, to get into Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael or Labour, it's 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 a slightly the, the hurdles that one has to overcome is, are slightly more. Whereas to join a new party like the Social Democrats, you feel that you become instantly involved, and not alone are you kind of not, you're more than a cog in the machine. You're a person who's actively kind of formulating policy Your and kind of plotting light. out course. So that that's the same with with every uh, uh, new party. Having said that, I mean the other parties, the other smaller parties, mostly to the left, uh, have also. Uh, taken on recruits in the wake of the referendum. Uh, You would have seen a lot of Green Party activists out, a lot of people from People Before Profit, from the uh, Socialist Party, the Solidarity, as they're called now, uh, and also from the Labour Party, who have been very active in in all of these uh, campaigns. How many of them will stay the course and stay for the long term? Uh, We we don't know, but we we do know from the 2015 uh, referendum that a number of the smaller parties did get a boost in membership and a certain proportion of those people, uh, uh, state.
1: I suppose one of the realities in relation to what Harry's saying there at the moment tonight is that. Actually, it is a bit of a sprint, probably almost certainly to the next um, general the next election. The likelihood is that it's going to happen within the, you know, at most the next 12 months, More, perhaps more like the, ne- the next six months. Yeah. So it is quite similar in that sense to a relatively focused campaign to get there, isn't it? Yeah,
2: possibly. I mean, you know, with all the speculation, I would laugh if they went the full term. I just think, you know, uh, we're all speculating about when it's going to be. But absolutely. And I think, I mean, I, I agree with Harry, absolutely. It's not going to be every single person that gets involved in the Together for Yes campaign that ultimately ultimately, is politicised, that joins a political grouping, anything like it. Um, but but there are, is going to be a large number of people who are politicised by this. Who I mean, it's not a question of getting the bug. It's understanding the mechanics of it, as you say, and literally understanding canvassing, understanding tallying, understanding politics, politics at a deeper level. But I would say there's a bit more behind it. And I think, I mean, if you, especially if you think about it from the marriage equality referendum right through to this year and everything that's happened in between and particularly in gender issues in the last year, I mean, obviously a huge part of the the base that we've seen involved in the Yes Equality or the Together for Yes group is women. And I mean, we've had so much in terms of women's issues in the last year. We've had so many big responses. I mean, globally, we've had the Me Too movement. I mean, obviously locally, we had a huge response to domestic violence and sexual violence in response to the Belfast rape trial. So there's a constant onslaught. And I see it in that context of, you know, an increase in the volume of women's voices. And I don't think that's going away. I really do see that that's a different, a slightly different thing Thing to kind of recruiting from a referendum campaign group or a campaign base. Um, and I, I, I really, I'm excited by that, I have to say. Uh, and, and, young,
3: and young people Yes, too. young people, yeah, uh, yeah. Women and young people, I yeah. mean, that's unmistakable. I mean, when you look yeah. and see the people who are involved in the campaign, it was, like, it was just 70, 80% were, were, were women and young people.
1: Pat, we always look to you for the jaundiced eye on these matters. <laughs> <laughs> we
3: actually, well,
0: yeah. I, I I, think that, um, you know, I think it's, it, undoubtedly the social democrats uh, will uh, benefit to a certain degree from their association and the association with many of their members with the with the campaign, the, the 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 referendum campaign was a single issue campaign. Politics is more nuanced and 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 multicolored than that. But and also, all the other parties are also seeking to do the same thing. So there is a uh, a clear and stated intention of uh, PBP solidarity to use the campaign to recruit members. So in some constituencies, not alone were there. Uh, members and their leaders involved uh, in the Together for Yes canvases, but they were doing their own party canvases on the matter or on on, on the referendum as well. Labour sees it as a way to uh, assist in its project of resuscitation. And you'll have seen the extent to which Labour people have been jumping up and down looking for credit and uh, complaining that their, uh, their role in the in this, the long struggle to repeal the Eighth Amendment, has been overlooked, and 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 they have a. a a, a point uh, to to some degree in that Sinn Fein obviously are propose uh, you know are, are pointed to the role of Mary Lou MacDonald in uh, certainly the media campaign in the final weeks. Fianna Gael is looking for kudos on the back of of proposing the referendum and Simon Harris's involvement. So Martin a, is basking in the glow it's, and it's, so it's, on and so it's, on. Yeah, exactly. So it's a fairly it's a fairly crowded. Space looking for credit. And it's an especially crowded and fractured space on the left. You know, I mean, if you look, if you step back and kind of look at the structure of Irish politics and the changes that have taken place over, uh, over the medium term, I mean, when the Eighth Amendment was put into the Constitution in 1983, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael combined got about 85% of the vote in a general election. The last general election, they got 50% of the vote combined. So why are they still in charge? Why are they still the most important forces in our politics? Because the rest of the political landscape has become so fractured. And you referred to the crowded ballot paper in Dublin Bay North at the next election, and it'll be mirrored in other constituencies as well. And until... You know, parties of the left can come together in uh, t- to form some sort of a coherent alternative for government. Then, uh, or at least to lead that government. Then, I-, I think you know, parties like the Social Democrats will be bit players in uh, uh, in in the-, the 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 real business end of politics, which is governing.
2: Uh, I I, I don't necessarily see that way. I mean, you know, until we see the numbers, I mean, obviously in any election, what we're focused on right now is, I mean, we're a young party. Harry mentioned it. We're not even three yet. So what we're talking about now is growth, building that vision. So I don't I don't necessarily see it in the same same way that Pat does. Um, And we are about governing. I certainly am in this business. You stayed out out of government
0: the last time. I mean, there was an opportunity you know for the social democrats to become involved in a coalition uh, in a coalition government and mm-hmm. uh, and and they they chose not to
2: um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, and I, I mean, I would say you'd, you'd, you'd need the party leadership in here to talk about those strategic kind of decisions. I mean, I'm literally in a week, so I mean, I can give you my take on it, but uh, but we are here to govern. I mean, there's no question of it. And I, I want to be a legislator. I mean, uh, that that's what we're here for. But uh, but also, within any political movement, you have to understand where you are in the, the movement, what stage you're at, what stage of development. And right now, our focus is offering the Irish people a vision, an alternative on the ballot sheet that we believe they want um, and 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 that's that's where we're at, increasing our numbers.
3: I can understand why the Social Democrats did not go into government in 2016. This is the kind of one of the central paradoxes of Irish politics is that if you're a smaller party, the electorate is rapacious. And if you go into government as a smaller party, you're going to get a kicking and you're going to come out a much smaller party after going into the election than than, 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 after coming out of government. Uh, th- 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 than when you did. Although and I, mean, I know
1: Pat has an alternative view on this and thinks that Labour, Labour would have electorally benefited from going I, I, into I government I, I, in 2016. I,
0: I, well, that's, that's, I, I mentioned this in a piece on Saturday. My view then in, in 2016 and now is that Labour, not necessarily that they wouldn't have benefited electorally, but it gave them a better chance of benefiting electorally uh, than, than staying out. My view at the time was that uh, Labour clearly needed to rebuild, but it could have done so f- with the profile and resources that government would have brought to it rather than competing in what was going to be uh, a very fractured opposition in which it was only one small part, outmuscled by Sinn Féin, overshadowed by Fianna Fáil, outfought by the parties of the far left and howled by, uh, you know, independence of all stripes uh, in the Dáil. And I think if you look at Labour's position now, it's a pretty grim one and, you know, would that have been different had they gone into government in 2016? Well, we can't know, but I think there are substantial reasons for thinking that it might have been.
1: I wonder about that tonight. I mean, it's an interesting I really I really do them, disagree. Which is always a good thing. I,
3: and <laughs> I actually don't think that Labour should go into the government after the next election. I think you need a period of rebuilding. And I think in, history has shown us in... But there, there are two, two periods of rebuilding But, 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 but history has, has shown us in, in the context of Irish politics that, that when a party... Uh, gets a a very heavy defeat in an election. It needs to be in opposition in order to rebuild. I think. I think no matter how well a government, uh, no, no, no matter how no well a smaller parliament forms in government, they the, the We the can let, we can let these gentlemen argue between yeah. themselves <laughs> all the time, and it does happen right, all I the time. Disagree. I, and I actually think that <laughs> that, that Labour should is stay out after
1: next election as well.
3: That would be my view.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I certainly what Harry's talking about, I, I think sometimes it's just maybe hard to see from the outside what goes on at any point in a political party and where they're at. Um, and I mean, you know, I suppose I would have had a similar kind of experience in the Commission where you have to be okay with people rattling your cage, making comment on your strategy decisions and everything else you're doing, and just stay focused on the vision that you have. I mean, we're an evidence based policy, we have a clear vision, and that's what we're working towards. And I would say that there's plenty of opportunity within this current setup and and what will be for the foreseeable future, the, the way that our politics is made up which is coalition based i mean we we have had traction with our uh with our legislation i mean social care was obviously led by Rosine Shortall and we've had other uh, private members bills have success um i mean the gift voucher one this week even we've had little bits i mean you know but those things are really important so so I don't see us being ineffective just because we're a small party or just because you're not uh, in government. Where
1: do you see yourselves in the in the broader context of what's happening with politics and the collapse of social democracy is something actually that's happening in a number yes, of European yeah, yeah. Con- countries, ironically. I was looking at the Twitter page of one of your candidates, Con Creedon, is it? And he sort of described himself as being allied with kind of the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party or Corbynism in, in the UK. Do you recognize that in, in terms of the international context of a, a different kind of Perhaps further left social democracy than than we've um, had for the last generation
2: or so. Yeah, well, yeah, probably. I mean, personally, yes, and I think. I mean, when you hear Roshan and um, Catherine speak, you know, you, you mentioned obviously they they are veterans, and, and and yet the population of the party is younger, and I mean they've said this they're building for the next generation, not for the next election, um, and that is the case, and that's what we're seeing. So yes, I think you know our our younger members certainly are inspired by people like Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn, and you know, and I I I, I I see the, a place for that. I see that being something that that is going to be embraced by the next generation and something that we can carry through on, yes.
1: Does that ultimately mean, because one of the things about Jeremy Corbyn and Bernie Sanders is they're they're both seeking to supplant a previous generation of what a centre-left party should be in their respective countries.
2: Well, yeah, and as I said earlier, I think there is, you know, there's, there's space for that on the political spectrum. I mean, the only way you're going to tolerate for example or build tolerance for different political bu- views is by having those different voices on the spectrum i mean we need the radical left so that we don't seem radical if you know what i mean and we need uh, you know center left so that we, you know so i think it, it all plays out and absolutely there's there's room for new we're evolving as societies where you know there's so many global issues that are coming up that that need global responses um and and so yeah i think there is a place for it and i think we can deliver it yeah i think um the funny
3: thing is that the, the, the process of politics is changing and I'm not sure if it's going to, how much it's going to change, but we've seen the introduction of deliberative processes over the past couple of years with the Citizens' Assembly and with the Oireachtas Committees and, and pre-legislative scrutiny, I think, which is done on a cross-party basis. And because of the, the uh, unusual uh, electoral circumstances that have been thrust upon us, you have seen very unlikely alliances that have been yoked together, as it were, by by... Uh, peculiar political circumstance. So um, uh, staunch care is a very good example of new politics mm-hmm. kind of working, but it also shows the limits of, of, of new politics. You see all the parties coming together and agreeing a position, but then you see kind of that kind of coming up uh, against the irresistible force of kind of old politics where you see both big parties kind of conspiring mm-hmm. to make sure it doesn't really happen. Uh, so, um, we're at a kind of an in-between stage at the moment, but it'd be very interesting to see the evolution of deliberative politics as kind of cross-party consensus, discussion, yeah. teasing through, through things before decisions are actually made to see if it actually becomes a reality in the Irish context over time. It might have to be uh, because of the, the, the fragmented nature uh, of our uh, parliament at, at present. I, I can't see Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael ever kind of regaining the hedge of money they once had. So they are going to have to forge these kind of temporary and more permanent... But then the interesting in the point
1: then, Pat, is your. Interview uh, this week in the Irish Times at Mary Lou MacDonald where she makes a more makes it the point more forcibly than I've ever seen her make it before. That Sinn Féin is uh, in the in the classic words ready for government. Yeah, she she was pitching, she was making a sales pitch. Uh,
0: all right, I mean, I think that is the direction that Sinn Féin has been moving in many ways. It's the point of Mary Lou McDonald's ascension to the leadership uh, in place of Gerry Adams to bring Sinn Féin into uh, uh, into the sphere where they are are competing viably for government. Um, I think part of what she's trying to do, making that pitch now is to ensure Sinn Féin's previous position was that it would only enter government in a majority position uh, at the head of a left wing, uh, at the head of a left wing government. And that not being a realistic prospect, I think in the latter stages the last election campaign, there's been a problem for Sinn Féin in the past that while it enjoys, you know, strong polling numbers in advance of an election and a strong media profile, at that point of an election campaign where the thoughts of swing voters turn to forming a government, the decisive stage of a general election campaign, Sinn Féin has been kind of irrelevant to uh, to those decision processes. And I think what Mary Lou is trying to do is to keep Sinn Féin relevant and therefore deliver them, uh, deliver them more seats. Does that seats. change the
1: dynamic on the left? If you have If the largest party self-identifying as a left-wing party is absolutely in the market for going into government and doing a deal? Does that change the situation, for that, example? It clearly does change it since since 2016. Well, I think what she,
0: part of the rationale for her move is the absence of a broad left coalition or a viable left-wing coalition that could be a major player in government. So what she is doing is saying, our route to government does not lie at the head of a left-wing coalition, uh, partly because of the fractured nature uh, of it, as we referred to earlier. Our route to government is, as a minority, Partner, uh, partner with one of the big old parties. That's a, I think, a, a, a re, what it is, is a read of the political landscape and of the likely future of the political landscape by Mary Lou. And uh, and, and, and it has, it seems to me, uh, a hint of realism about it.
3: And the other interesting thing, thing is to see how, how well the left will, will do in the next election. If you look at the Left, How, how many left-wing or left-of-centre TDs are there in the Dáil at the moment? I think about a third overall, if you include Sinn Féin, mm-hmm. the Labour Party. Question of definition there. <laughs> Independence, okay. and smaller party, yeah.
1: Sure, but I mean, you're talking no, about... No, it's, it's certainly, it's certainly yeah. at least a third, uh, I would say.
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a third. But will, 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 will that increase um, after the next election? And the jury is out on that. And my own view is that, that Fianna Fáil will probably make a couple of gains. I think Fine Gael could possibly make gains uh, as well. I think when the economy is on a relatively steady keel... People tend to be slightly conservative in terms of their uh, electoral choice and go for the, the tried and trusted uh, rather than, than trying something new. I think Sinn Féin is in a strange position at the moment. I think if it hadn't changed its leadership, I think the party support level would have plateaued at 23. They might have even have lost uh, one or two seats. I think Louth is vul- vulnerable. They're already a seat down in Laud, um or in Lee Shoffley, as it were, because... Uh, two constituencies are becoming one there and they have two TDs and they're certainly not going to get two TDs out of five. They might make a gain in Donegal. Uh, they might make make a gain in, in Dublin West. But it'll be interesting to see under Mary Lou's leadership if they're actually going to increase I- its tally. And if it does, it won't be by very much. But it'll be very interesting to see how parties like uh, the Social Democrats, uh, the People Before Profit Solidarity, uh, the greens the smaller parties it's, it's of the, the, the left the,
0: the, the others are contracting if you look at say you know step back and look at the you know the the, the the major trends in the polls since the last general election at the last general election uh you know small parties others independents got thirty percent of the vote generally in polls now
1: that you know that 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 group. Is at about well, Although we're not batch, necessarily a seeing a half. decline, it can be difficult to tell because margin of error when it applies to these very small percentages is mm-hmm. low. But I haven't seen the yeah. SOC GEMS yeah. numbers go down, I haven't seen solidarity numbers go down. They're
0: at such a low level nationally. That it's hard to tell anyway. It's hard to tell. About. But what we can say, unless there is a massive turnaround in the next number of months, is that the numbers of TDs from independent small parties in that will be drastically reduced. Generally, well, although that is a very broad
3: canvas,
1: that includes the Rural Alliance and various like can.
3: I mean, if you look at the yeah. Social Democrats, they can make gains in Dublin Central, yeah. uh, in um, in Limerick, perhaps in in Galway Dollar, West. Yeah, yeah uh, Dún is is wide yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. open there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So you could get a party, who which, which is two TDs at present, kind of coming back with six or seven. Yeah. Perhaps on a really good day, you might even get nine or ten. But um, oh. we'll have to wait and <laughs> see. your the jets, <laughs> Calm your jets, there, Harry. <laughs> well, things things
1: can happen. I mean, so their top, just to go through, just with those mm. number crunching, there, mm. the, their top target is probably Dublin Central. They almost won a seat there the
2: last Gary time. Gannon I yeah, think, yeah. Is, yeah.
3: would be very strong. And Dublin Central is increasing in size Next, as well. Next seat, there. yeah.
1: So
2: yeah. it's
3: going to a four seater. So I, I think I think the redraw
2: will work in his Yeah, I think
3: right? Keenan. I mean, I think Can will have a relatively good chance at Dublin Bay North as well right? Yep. So I, I mm-hmm. forgot Dublin Bay North yeah. uh, Neil O'Toole Tool and Galway West yeah. uh, Limerick uh, Dunleera, because Dunleer is effectively becoming a four seater again yeah. with uh, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly Sean exactly Sham uh, is no longer Can Corlia so there'll there'll be you know, there'd be a lot of chasing for the last two seats in that in that constituency. And there's currently
1: one left seat there, I suppose you could say. In Richard, shape Boyd, of Richard Barrett, Boyd Barrett,
3: who, who is the safest oh. houses, I could not see yeah. him being defeated in a million years.
2: Yeah, I mean, and Carly Bailey in um, in Dublin Southwest. I mean, we've got plenty of talent coming in. I mean, the four that were appointed last week, Sarah Durkin now in Dublin Bay South. So I think we've got you know, we've got op- options, right? I mean, there was 14 uh, opportunities or constituencies where we were present in the mm-hmm. last election. So, I mean... Oh, yeah, and Marie McNally in yeah, Dublin Midwest as well would, would have a bit yeah. of a well, the, the chance. The
1: traditional stepping stone to general election success has been council, uh, local authority success, first of all. But yes. the, the way that it looks, this schedule is going to play out. That's not going to be available mm-hmm. to a party like the Social Democrats this time.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, I, of course, it's all speculation. We don't know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, if it does come up before, then...
1: Yeah,
3: I, I think it'll be very unlikely the local elections yeah. will happen before the general election, unless the government does want its full course. But I'd be surprised if that were to happen. But yes, of course, council elections are always kind of the, 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 um, the, the stepping stone to, yeah. to, to general elections. And constituency presence is really important. You know, mm. no matter how, how much of a national profile you are, no matter how you how good you are on legislation, or becoming a prospective member of the legislature, if you don't have your boots on the ground and if you're not campaigning locally and if you're not tuned into local issues and if you don't have that local recognition, you don't have a snowball's hope But is it
1: not true, Harry, that a very good day for Social Democrats, such as you've just mentioned, would have to be a very bad day for the Labour Party?
3: Yes, I think there is a kind of a pendulum swinging there. (laughs) Well certainly if they were to win, say... In most of of the constituencies you mentioned. They're they're they're, they're all vying for the same kind Mm -hmm. of... uh, Elec- there's the same kind of uh, cohort And of if you take that down to the level of candidates. If yeah. Gary Gallon wins in Dublin Central, yeah. then Joe
0: Costello's not coming back. Yeah. you know. Uh, and if you
1: win in Dunleary tonight, it's very unlikely there's going to be a Labour
2: seat there. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, and I, you know, as Harry said as well, the, the you know the, the kind of boots on the ground is is huge. I mean, I'm I've been appointed the local area rep. I was at that happened a few months ago, and Peter Tannum is my uh, co-rep in in the Laoghaire ward. Um, and obviously the, the the referendum gave us that huge opportunity I mean to, to to get out there and just work and I mean I learned a huge amount about the constituency about canvassing itself and you know understanding what are the issues so so absolutely I mean and, and we will be continuing that work in earnest now um, in preparation for another the
1: constituencies which Harry mentioned for the most part were some of the most heavily yes constituencies mm. in the country in fact historically they were some of the constituencies that voted against the Eighth Amendment in the first place yes, yeah, like, like is the only back in back in 1980, uh, 1983 So is there a particular association that the Social Democrats have with what what used to be called way back in the midst of time the liberal agenda uh, progressive movements in relation to you mentioned it yourself Me Too feminism uh, reproductive rights and perhaps yeah. the next stage of these things which people have talked about for example um, having a, uh, a secular education system
2: Yeah absolutely like. well separation of church and state is high up on our agenda absolutely um, and I mean and a, you know uh, uh, Roisin put in an amendment obviously that didn't uh, get through and I mean our, our sexual health and um, reproductive uh, reproduction policy was by far the most comprehensive. I mean, on that basis alone, um, I think we were we were we had our finger on the pulse, if you like. I mean, it was it was developed in tandem with the erectus Ar- Committee and or in parallel with it. Um, and I mean, you know, it, it is a comprehensive policy which talks about sex education, about positive sex education, about positive sex lives that we should all lead. It's forward thinking, it's not, you know, it's it's where young people are looking at. And it's and I think it's it is about that liberal agenda, but it's about change. And I for me that's the appetite. That that we're seeing in our younger membership, for sure, um, is is change and being you know at the at the cutting edge of that change and being visionary in, in what we put forward.
1: Is there a possibility, Pat, that and we talked about this quite a bit last week in the aftermath in the referendum that everybody was quite taken aback by the margin in in the end, and some people have argued that it revealed that Ireland is more liberal than the received wisdom had it. Ireland is more open to progressive ideas, uh, and that that might open up possibilities greater possibilities than, than were previously thought were available to a party like the Social Democrats. Yeah, that is a possibility,
0: absolutely. I mean, I was right at the weekend that one of, the, uh, one of the, the effects of the result, I think, will be to uh, turbocharge reforms and new legislation that uh, you know, that are important to women uh, in terms of the, the immediate political agenda. So gender pay, things like that, I think will, uh, you know, will will become poli- more politically important.
1: And What know, about the church-state issue, which has, you
0: know, been a long-running subtext of many of these debates? Yeah. Um, I, I, yes, I think that is, that is likely to... I mean, I think it was something that was on the political agenda already. There is... it comes up against the innate conservatism not just of, you know, the traditional political establishment but of the Department of Education in particular. And Mm. also kind of people's own kind of caution about their local schools. So I know this, you know, back when Rory Quinn was Minister for Education and he conducted a number of, uh, of uh, he, he, you know, as part of the um, the process of uh, the Catholic Church divesting itself of patronage of a lot of national schools. Well, this was something that, you know, most people were in favour when they were asked, did they want a change? In you know, a number of pilots, uh, pilot service, when they asked if they wanted a change to their local school. People were a lot more cautious uh, about that. So those kind of conservative instincts, both officially and, uh, you know, at the level of communities exist. But quite clearly in, you know, in an awful lot of communities, you see the demand for Educate Together schools and that. That is a kind of a retail political issue Mm. that uh, a party such as the Social Democrats, I think, could, you know, could make hay on.
2: And it's an outlier. I mean, you know, I've been in Geneva representing the the Commission, and you know, the idea that we have a baptism barrier. I mean, and obviously, you know, we, we that's on the way out. But the idea that, you know, that you that you have to you know show the requirement of being Catholic to access basic primary education is just so fundamentally wrong. And I mean, you know, I I would say, I mean, so prior to working in the commission, I was in the tech sector. Uh, I was head of uh, social action in Google for, for five years, um, worked there for seven years. And a lot of the population there are young people coming from across Europe who were literally jaws on the ground when they understood that they had to you, get their child baptised. I mean, you know, these are young families setting up here in Ireland and really couldn't understand that. So church and state for me is is absolutely fundamental Having issue. said
1: that, the constituency in which you're running, one of the things that's notable about it makes it unusual in the country is the pre- ponderance of private fee-paying mm-hmm. religious-run schools, which are very popular with the uh, with the voters of Dunleary, It appears because that's where they send their kids.
2: Well, I send my daughter to a non-fee-paying school, New Park Comprehensive. Uh, Excellent in, place. I the went there myself. <laughs> um, Checkered <and> alumni.
0: <laughs> record. Um,
2: but yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, the options. I think if there were more options, uh, you you might see a different uh, response there. Absolutely. Oh. So, not in South Dublin. Really?
3: Well, in terms of fee-paying, not non-fee-paying, yeah. I think that that debate. See, well, it's 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 this it's the the thing, thing
1: is—you get these coaches <laughs> come up to Dublin, <laughs> become born and bred South Dubliners, <laughs> uh, adopt all the mannerisms. Meanwhile, as Harry has pointed out in the past, I emigrate to North Dublin and uh, and, and and take a different approach. <laughs> How are you getting on there? I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back, Pat. Yeah, yeah. we will give on, you a visa. On, thanks very much. On, on that happy note, we will leave that there Thanks very much for coming in. Thanks also, Harry and Pat. And that's it for this edition. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Ryan and engineer JJ Vernon. And remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. And please do take a moment to rate and review the show or even to share it with your friends because it helps to get it out to a wider audience. You can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. You can mail me at hlenihan at irishtimes.com or you can always find me on Twitter. But until the next time, thanks very much for listening.